Beyond the Lamplight both starts and ends this podcast. Yes, they do. Indeed. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the These Rules Doomed Apply to Us podcast. My name is Mackenzie Mackinich. And Andy Gates. Thank you for once again joining us for a podcast episode. And if you have checked out our previous ones, please do. Please subscribe in all the places where you find podcasts. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Please link up with all those. Follow us. Be our friends. We like friends. Yes. We like good friends. Yes. I think these listeners are probably good friends. Yeah. Or we're scaring them away. It's one of the two. Probably. Yeah. Well, they don't want to hear us ramble up too awful much, so we should probably talk about a show review. And let's talk about one of, in my opinion, the greatest uh, the greatest frontmen who ever lived. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. I, I think he, he should be up there, you know, top 20, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I'm not arguing with you. He was a, he was a special man. Yes. So the person we're going to talk about in, to start off with is he was known as the Screaming Eagle. His name was Charles Bradley. We saw him in this particular one that we're going to talk about. This was on January 11th, 2016 at the Neptune Theater in Seattle. And I believe this was like the Sasquatch kickoff party. Um, because the old Sasquatch Music Festival that used to happen. Rest in peace. Wish it was still around. Uh, yeah, they had a kickoff, and it was Charles Bradley and more than some other folks, I believe, on on that bill. But we were there primarily to see Charles Bradley. So much to say about this man, but um, for that performance, and you know, uh, in particular, do you wanna do you wanna kick it off, Andy? Yeah, uh, I will. I mean, it's my understanding that you know his beginnings towards stardom was he was kind of singing on the street. I do recall. And someone was driving by and he was just singing for money. He was he was a James Brown impersonator. Right. Yeah. You know, he was doing that and someone heard it. Again, you never know who you're dealing with, who had some connections and men got got a hold of him, uh, ended up getting them together with a real band and putting together uh, the Dap Kings. Yeah. You know, the band that had worked yeah. with uh, yeah. Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, you know, yeah. uh, Amy Winehouse. He got tied up with that band. Well, members of that band. It wasn't right. the exact Dap Kings. Yeah, they ended up being Charles Bradley and the Extravaganzas. Extraordinaires or something. Extraordinaires, yeah. I think that's yeah. right. Yeah, you know, and he, again, he was, he had it pretty rough for a while there. And then he went out and, man, he just slayed it. He really did. His performances are so powerful. But I think the thing that stands out most, I think I can say for us, is his genuine absolute appreciation for life appreciating for that he was able to do this and pull it off and that people were paying to come see him play i mean every the shows i saw him play at you know he, he cries a lot up on stage he's just so thankful after every song you can just see it you know it's it's, it's just flowing through him the appreciation and, and love Every single show I ever saw him at, he cried because, yeah, like he, he just couldn't believe that people actually liked him and he was there. And, and for context, like, I don't even think he got, like, famous or broke out till he the guy was, like, 62 or something like that. Or yeah, absolutely. He, he was up there. And um, like you said, he had kind of like a 
a rough beginning. And if you really want to dive deep into his past, like there was a, a very good documentary that I suggest it's called Soul of America that came out like over 10 years ago. And that'll go into a lot of detail about his previous life. And um, so, yeah, at the show at the Neptune, you know, there was the flower thing. You, you can talk about that. Like, yeah, I mean, he gives out flowers and stuff on stage to people and not only, you know, is his personality sort of energetic and positive and all that, but the music is just fantastic. I mean, his voice is just incredible. Yeah. Great soul music. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the covers he's done like changes, you know, black Sabbath. Are you kidding me? Oh yeah. Nirvana. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he could pull it off in any, you know, style, but he turned it into his style and it was really impressive. Yeah. He, uh, I was at a club the other night actually, and they put that over the PA like, monkey see monkey do i'm like oh this is that nirvana song it's right like you would never know honestly but right like, yeah so talented but um did, i think you got a flower that night from him yeah, didn't you so, yeah. at the yeah. neptune show yeah absolutely yeah you know and what really stands out to me is you know it's a great show great show it's emotional just watching it i mean you watch the guy crying and you know you know kind of takes me with him on that ride but uh what I recall is after the show, you know, a lot of artists just, you know, go back to the green room or disappear. And he just came right off the stage and stood in the middle of the floor. And he was there to say hi and take a picture with absolutely everybody in the room if they wanted it, you know, and not a whole lot of people, I think of his prestige back then do that. And he was there and a long line kind of formed and I got in the line. I hadn't personally met him before. And I'm watching all the people in front of me who are in line. Again, I get up to him and they're kind of like a group of people, you know, three or four of the friends who came together and they all got a phone out and they're taking selfies with the guy. You know, they're not spending a lot of time interacting with him. It's sort of like, hey, hi. They turn their backs. They get him behind him and, mm. you know, all that stuff. They take a picture and kind of gone. You know, and I'm just it, it didn't feel right to me. It did not feel right to me. I had my phone in my hand. That was my intention until I watched this, you know, line of people just not really interact with men. Mm. You know, and I put my phone away. It wasn't about that. I want to fuck. I'm gonna cry. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm it's, gonna. Yeah. I'm gonna. He was a very special human. Yeah, like, he was. Yeah. Uh, I got up there, and you know, looked him in the eye, said, "Appreciate what you do," and you know, can I give you a hug? And mm. I give hugs and I like to say, I like to double dip on them. This isn't a quick hug. I'm going to grab and, you know, we're going to make this a real hug. Mm -hmm. I remember he whispered in my ears like, man, now that was a hug. Oh, I never knew that. Yeah. You never told me that before. No. And yeah. It was just, it's great. Yeah. You know, not again, he was happy being there, taking the pictures and whatnot, but I wanted to tell him, you know, how special I thought he was. You tell him I love him. Yeah, that probably made that guy's night that night, honestly. Both of ours, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Quite honestly, I fuck. I tear up every time I'm thinking about it. I almost relate a little bit of the story and warm ups for this, but fuck that. You know, I knew I was going to cry. I might as well do it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Glad you did. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see that part coming. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, thanks for sharing those things about him, Andy. Um, I have a bit of experience from seeing him over the years. Like I, I probably saw Charles, I don't know, at least five or six times. I'd have to really dig into the archives. I think 
one of the first times, I don't remember if I saw him at Bumbershoot first or Sasquatch. I mean, it doesn't really matter for this, but one time I was working out at Sasquatch as a music journalist and I was doing reviews at the festival the whole time, probably 2011, 2012, something like that. And Charles was still kind of new, so he was just coming up. And uh, the first thing that happened was like he had was down like the signing booth. I think it was like the one that Easy Street Records used to do. And I went and got, I had him sign a dollar bill for me. And he wrote love always on it because Charles was illiterate, you know, so he didn't really know how to spell always. And I didn't care. You know, that was just like, God. and then he signed it with his name and I, I got a quick photo with him and, you know, we'll post that on the Facebook page or whatnot. But what really got me, you know, we talked about earlier, about he, of course, he cried on stage and he did it every show. <laughs> always does. It's just what he did. But later uh, that afternoon, I was in the press room sitting, writing up a show review or doing research or whatever I was doing. And um, a fellow writer uh, sat down right across the table from me and he had Charles sit down with him to do like a scratch interview really quick. And during that, um, I pretended that I was doing work, but I was doing absolutely <laughs> nothing but dialing in and listening to every single word that they were talking about. And Charles even started crying during that interview, cool. you know, just like when like the writer was saying like, oh, you know, you were so good. And he just like started losing it. It was like, so even there, you know, out of public's eye, like he just so genuine that just that that got me of just like he he couldn't believe that people finally liked him after all the struggles that man had in his early life of homelessness and death and all lots of terrible things and in the struggle so like that authenticity really grabbed me yeah i think the word you that. use genuine absolutely yeah 100 that just sums it all up it was and so you know charles battled um, i think it was cancer a couple of times you know, one time it didn't look too good for him and he bounced out of it and was like, okay, wow, it seems like he's he's going to get out of this. And then um, eventually it got him and, and Charles passed away way, way too soon. And uh, that was, you know, just another one of those, like, uh, gosh, I'm so grateful that I saw him. And there's probably people that are listening to this that are probably going, oh, I wish I would have seen him. And yeah, I wish you would have too. Sorry you didn't get to see those experiences. But there is, you know, um, I have a Charles Bradley uh, box set vinyl at home that I absolutely Ooh. adore. It's one of my best treasures of vinyl that I own and lots of video to watch. I did want to read, you know, I was pretty sad when he did pass away and I wrote some things on Facebook and I would like to read what I wrote about it because I think it's going to sum up Charles really well. The floor is yours. Yeah, I had, uh, I brought up a little bit of part about the illiterate, but then I mentioned that, you know, you don't have to be literate to understand love, to feel love and to give out love. You don't need to be literate to feel gratitude and humility. You just have to be truly alive. And Charles Bradley was alive and fully in touch with his emotions, which made him rich spiritually. Watching Charles Bradley cry on and off the stage used to make me cry. What a success story he was so late in his career. I've never seen anything like him or his career and may never again. He was truly unique. Charles Bradley understood love, and that's really all he needed to know. He had the important parts of life figured out. And I think that sums up Charles Bradley, and it, it absolutely sums up my experiences like with him, who he was. Fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. That's well written. I like it. Thanks. Yeah. So rest in peace, Charles. He was a real one. Kind of just go back a little bit and address you know, something you said. It's like you know people who didn't get to see him, I mean – is why I say, you know, go to the shows, go to the shows. Yeah, you know, it's a rainy day, whatever, a long day, but the wealth of 
music that is available here in Seattle on any given night is just kind of unheard of as far as I'm concerned. And get out, go to the shows. I mean, Joanne will tell you there's times, you know, it's 9 p.m., show starts at 10, I'm rolling, I'm complaining. I'm like, I don't want, I don't want, I want to. Shit, I come home with a big-ass smile on my face. Yeah. I sleep when I'm dead. Yeah, that's pretty well my motto on things, too. And, like, while it does get expensive and I don't have a ton of money, like, that's just – this is where my money goes to. Like, other people buy houses and cars and all kinds of nice things. But, like, this is where – I, you know, I say often, like, if it is true that when you're on your deathbed, if you're watching a review of your life, like – I want to look back at these experiences instead of yeah. like looking at my checking account and seeing how much money I had. Uh, absolutely. Like, yeah. You can't take the money with you. Yeah. Fair. Um, you know, inevitably in Seattle, I've got friends there. The music I go see is great. I mean, it's just I come home. It checks all the boxes of the pleasure centers in the brain. It's like, yep. That's why I get up off the couch around 9 PM kind of grumping a little bit, but worth it. Yeah. So like I said, Charles Bradley was a real one. And if anybody listening saw Charles um, or have anything you want to share about that show in particular or any of his other shows, yeah, feel free to comment in the Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, yeah, let's talk some Charles. Uh, one last thing. I was lucky enough to score the show poster from that Bradley show where I got the hug from him. And that's uh, that's a special poster to me, and we'll we'll post a photo of that one on the pages. Absolutely. Yeah. And your show poster room is just like a freaking museum, <laughs> by the way. Like we we've said that like when Andy passes away before me, because we're both pretty sure that's going to happen. That like <laughs> I I have the <laughs> I have been given the uh, the okay that I'm allowed to have those posters, which I'm kind of looking forward to. <laughs> <laughs> You dick! I can feel the love, man. Yeah! I can feel the love. I'm you're, looking forward to the posters. so genuine. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, we've also said that, like, I'm going to have to get here before Joanne throws them out, so I will be, you know, stay out of my way when I'm speeding to the, <laughs> the house on that day. So. Fair enough. <laughs> but love you, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, well, let's switch gears into another big uh, event that we saw. Uh, for me, this would have been my final performance I saw before COVID happened. And, you know, my life and everyone's life just kind of went on a major pause. But I'll tell you, if if there couldn't have been a better show, I don't, I don't think so, to have as the final show before COVID. Because, boy, the memories from this one lasted quite a long time. Yeah, I can't say that it was the last show I saw before COVID hit, thanks to my friend Jeremy Mulligan, who went and saw a band that a friend of his was in, and um, it wasn't as good as um, this show. So. Yeah, so what this was, this was on March 4th, 2020. This was at the Doug Fur Lounge in Portland, Oregon. This was Brothers of a Feather, which was the two brothers from the Black Crows, Rich and Chris Robinson. As a duo in a tiny venue that maybe holds, I don't know, 300. 300 people or something like that. 
um, insane kind of a show for, you know, we're talking a band that plays like huge theaters and amphitheaters and that kind of thing. And now here's just the two of them just doing a duo show in a tiny club. So there was no way we were missing that show. It is a tiny club, but the thing is, it's a very special kind of place. It's like a ski lodge. There's just something about that room that's fantastic. Yeah, it it's really is closed like now, lodge. so yeah. like, we'll definitely never be able to replicate Absolutely. that. But I mean, that in my mind, that was uh, Portland's premier venue. That's where I wanted to see shows. Yeah, so small, intimate venue. Um, getting tickets was very difficult. So the day of the show, I, I couldn't find tickets. I mean, this thing was ultra, ultra sold out, even with all of our tricks. And uh, but I basically said, screw it. I'm getting into that show somehow. And so I think you were already down there and I met you. And then Aisha and I drove down. Or I don't remember if you no, rode I down rode with, with us. And we met at South Center. Gotcha. Well, OK, yeah. And we rode down together. So we rode down and during the ride down uh, Facebook, uh, it got posted that they were releasing like 10 more tickets or something like that. And that's how I was able to get my ticket. And then then we were in. So we got in the door. Well, and that sort of goes along the lines of like those rules don't apply to us. I mean, you could just say, oh, it's sold out, you know, and just, you know, stay home and mope about it. But, you know, the only people who are guaranteed to get into the show, any show, are the people who physically get down to the venue the day or night of the show. Yeah. And from there, you know, be observant and, you know, make the magic happen. And sometimes it's, you know, it falls in your lap. Sometimes it doesn't, but you know, the, the tenacity of saying, uh, you know, but worst case scenario, it's three hour ride down. It's a three hour ride back later. I didn't get to see the show. Yeah. I mean, as, as an absolute worst case scenario, but again, like I had the confidence, I knew I was getting in and mostly because like I was going with you yep. and again, we're together. We're had together. I just gone probably with Aisha, I probably wouldn't have got in. You know, I, that's just how it would have happened. Like, I, I know it. Fair. Yeah. And for me, it was my Portland ticket ferry, Jay O'Brien, ended up hooking me up with those tickets. I mean, he's plugged into the scene down there, um, getting the tickets, and when the shows are getting announced and put on sale. So uh, thanks, Jay. Yeah. Shout out, Jay. Uh, my buddy Greg Garcia was there. And yeah, so to reiterate, uh, my friend Aisha, who you met for the first time, and yep. Folks, I want you to stop what you're doing right now. Put this on pause. We'll wait. And I want you to go and look up on all the socials. A-I-S-H-A. Just look up Aisha, an amazing singer, a great rock singer. And the Black Crows are like one of her favorite bands of all time. I mean, she's... You think it is. Yeah, she, yeah, she was all about it. Yeah, them and Aerosmith. I mean, like she's seen the Black Crows. God only knows how many dozens of times. <laughs> so like, she definitely was not going to miss the show as well. And uh, so, yeah, so the three of us, we, we headed down from Seattle and, you know, I, and to kind of hit more on like the topic of Aisha, like part of my joy of that show was watching how happy she was because she was seeing her favorites. Oh, absolutely. And that's kind of like a topic I want to bring up. It's like it's not always about even like my, my experiences and how, you know, I'm seeing people that I like. It's like seeing something that brings others so much joy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like there's shows that like I've sort of kind of dragged you to that you're like I'll go because like you know it means a lot to me and you want to yeah. see me happy and same like you've I've gone to shows that uh, that mean a lot to you that the band's not so much for me but seeing the joy and the happiness for you like it, it really does it but yeah I've definitely gone to shows where I'm not the target audience for what they're throwing down but the the energy the electricity of others around me it's palpable I can feel it I mean shit I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it I mean yeah I think uh, live music, it's a special place. Yeah. So 
you know, as we do, even in a club of 300 people, there's no way we were going to be towards the back. So we were like in the <laughs> second row. And I think we let Aisha stand in front of us because as she should. And being that she's such, she's, uh, such an amazing singer, you know, she was singing very loud and multiple times. Chris <laughs> kind of looked down like, hmm, all right. You know, like, yeah. Chris Robinson, if you're listening, bud, you need to uh, bring this girl on. Have her sing with you all. Fair enough. Yeah, good friend of ours. Gosh, what so much to say about that show. Let's talk about the set list a little bit. So they they played all the hits, basically. Yeah. You know, they played uh, Jealous Again and uh, Nonfiction, you know, Twice as Hard, Descending, uh, Remedy. You know, um, for me, the best moment by far of the entire night was they played She Talks to Angels. Yeah, like, absolutely. That's a that's a killer song. Oh, it's my favorite, favorite Black Crow song. Yep. And to see those two and again, just being literally 10 feet away from Chris Robinson <laughs> while he's he's singing it. Yeah. I'm going to post some audio from the YouTube post that I made. I'll post that in the podcast later and we'll listen to it a little bit. And I have some truly incredible photos that we'll put on the Facebook and Instagram from that performance that only we could have gotten because only we were that close, you know, just. Any other set list things that kind of stand out to you of songs or? No, it was just what that show actually did for me, though, was make it so that I'd never see the Black Crows again, because I don't think I could outdo that experience. I know. Because it wasn't, I think it was later that summer or whatever, whenever it was, they went on tour with the full band. You and I were like, nah, we didn't even try to get tickets. It's like, not interested. How do you top that? I basically said the exact same thing. It's just like, I. I don't want to go see them at a big venue. Like really nothing will ever top that experience. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I think I even posted at the time, something along the lines of like, 
I'll only go see them again, like if they're performing in my living room or something. Like, you know, that would be dope. <laughs> However, I was proven wrong on that because uh, in 2022, uh, my dear friend Anthony Nelson, and shout out to him, by the way. Anthony is the one who did the artwork for our podcast. Thank you, Anthony. He was ill at the time, uh, dealing with an illness. And he literally just called me the day of the show, middle of the summer. And he's like, hey, I've got front row tickets to see the Black Crows at Chateau St. Michel. He's like, I'm too sick. Do you want these tickets? And, you know, the answer to those kind of questions is always, yes, I want the tickets. And while I felt awful that, you know, I couldn't go to this and my good friend had to sit at home, I I knew that, you know, that was one of Anthony's favorite bands as well. And so I would, I made it up to him. So I, uh, fantastic show. They did the uh, Shake Your Money Maker album in its entirety. So they played a lot of these songs and all that. And uh, but after the show, uh, again, where rules kind of don't always apply, you know, venue staff wants everybody out of there. You have to leave. You have to leave. You have to leave. But the the Black Crows were standing on the other side of a fence way down towards the side, like waiting for their shuttle to come pick them up. And there was like this sort of uh, see through black screen and a gap in the fence that I could see them very clearly. Yeah. And I wanted an autograph. Um, I gotten a hold of the set list. And I wanted an autograph for my friend, Anthony. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the security guy is just like, the band has already left. You're not going to get it. And I was like, okay, thank you for the information. And I basically just ignored him. Right. I have eyes. I can see. Right. And uh, and he's just like, I don't know why you're doing this. The band's left. I'm like, okay. And I didn't argue with him. Like, no, no asshole. They haven't left. They're right there. And, uh, and Rich would, from time to time, kind of see me, and, you know, and I'd wave a little bit, and he's, like, in conversation with folks. But yeah. I was just polite, and I just waited it out and waited out and waited it out. And then finally, um, right as his shuttle was coming up, I think, like, the two um, security guards had, like, switched for, like, a little break for a second. And okay. I said, Rich, I got to take off, man. Would you mind just signing this? And he goes, yeah, somebody give me a pen. Let me sign this for this guy. And he was a little annoyed. But then I explained. I said, Rich – this is for a friend of mine who was dealing with an illness and he couldn't be at the show. This is going to mean the world to him. Thank you. And I think he probably thought I was lying. He's like, yeah, whatever, kids, whatever. But <laughs> he signed it. He went on. But Rich, if you're actually listening, that was real and legit. And um, when I gave that gift to uh, my friend Anthony in the days later, like he was he didn't see it coming. He was absolutely stunned. And uh, that was a very nice thing you did. Yeah. Shout out to Anthony. You know, so uh, the importance of things when it comes to that. Uh, sorry, that was a little bit of a ramble. Back to the, the show, though, with the Brothers of the Feather. Uh, one other thing that jumped out to me was for the encore, they did two shows with Peter Buck from R.E.M., which yeah, was or two shows, cool. two songs with Peter Buck, one of them being Femi Fatale by the, the Velvet <laughs> Underground, which was just, again, you had to be there. And yeah. we were there. Um, who also was there was our good friend Barrett Martin. Yeah from uh, Screaming Trees and Mad Season. And we've worked with him and been friends with him in the past. So we, and he was there because he's good friends with Peter Buck. And I think he's even worked with the Crows a little bit. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And yeah. I think Peter was standing there with him literally when we went up to say hi to Barrett. You yeah. Know, he was just kind of hanging out in the back. And I think we were getting ready to leave the venue and we ran into him. But yeah. Yeah. Pretty incredible night for sure. It's not bad for uh, not having a ticket when you left the house. She does to please 
really about the last things that I kind of remember about that show, though, were just, you know, obviously that's the closest I've ever been to Chris Robinson watching him perform. And I remember he just he kind of reminded me of Joe Cocker several times. Ooh. You know, like uh, he just kind of goes in and his vocals have just held up over the past 30 years. Mm. And while they were slightly different, just his his actions and, you know, his his hippie stories between the songs were lots of fun. And, you know, plus, I believe like the two brothers did not always get along there for quite a while. So seeing them back together was pretty special and magical. Yeah, it's my first time seeing Chris and, you know, the brothers together. But I had seen uh, Rich with Magpie Salute. Mm. In fact, they played a couple of shows down in Southern California and the Stone Foxes opened for both of those shows. And one of the places I saw him was at the Belly Up Tavern in Solana Beach. And the other one was, I forget the name of the place, but it was up in San Juan Capistrano. It was traveling down there between those shows when I absolutely fell in love with that part of California. And mm. here it is years later, we ended up, Joanne and I, after she retired, bought a house down in California and it was seeing that rich, the magpie salute show. That's where I wanted to retire to. That's sweet. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I got to be like pretty close with rich, you know, green room access and all that stuff. But yeah, it was fun. Wow. That's cool. I didn't know that part either. Yeah. 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 And he, he killed it so much too that night at, at the, uh, at the show in Portland. You know, I remember he was on slide. He played 12 string guitar. I mean, he was, just so good, like just so so good of a show. I mean, it's just seriously, it's one guy with a guitar carrying all the music. Yeah, that was our experience, you know, seeing the the two brothers from the Black Crows, and we drove all the way home back to Seattle that night, which was brutal. You know, it's about a three hour drive, and it's a shitty drive, especially at night. It was, I mean, there's nothing to look at during the day, so at night it's even worse. But yeah. the adrenaline carried us most of the way. I think I had to work the next morning, so that was you know just going to be awful, but. You know, the three of us, me, you and Aisha, we just talked and talked and talked about that. And honestly, just talked about like the music industry quite a bit and yeah, shared a lot of our experiences. So, and, you know, COVID was really starting to run rampant at that time. You know, things were, you know, not completely closing down yet, but it was, you know, I think it was the virus was already in Kirkland by that, down the street from your house. Yeah. We didn't know the whole world was going to shut down like Ooh. a week later, oh, shit. but we knew that this was starting to become an issue and there was probably going to be problems. So I, I'll never, ever have another experience of even if COVID comes around, things shut down. I'll never have another experience of it being the first time. And then like those two brothers playing in that venue, like that was a once in a lifetime opportunity. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and had to go. We got in the door. Had to go. Seriously. We would have hopped in a car together if I you know, hadn't got a ticket through Jay. Absolutely. We'd have been down there. Yeah. And like you say. I just know I'm going to get in. Yeah, having the confidence for it. And yep. I've got that one. Uh, I stole a uh, you know show poster off the wall that night, have it framed, and I got the ticket stub hanging on my wall at the house. So that's mm-hmm. on my wall of fame. Yeah, I got that one off the wall, but I also bought the big one that they were selling, their tour poster. That yeah. One, that's a pretty good one. Sweet. All right. And that's the podcast. <laughs> that was so white. Intermission is coming to a close. Better run back to your seat. We've been biding our time, looking for.